Okay, and if you could give me a little sync point as well. Um, so I'm going to say one, two, three, mark. And on mark, you clap. You know what to do. You know what to do. Okay, one, two, three, mark. Perfect. God, it's just, it's just so nice dealing dealing with a clapping pro. Oh, because I've. You just, you just bring <laughs> such such panache to it, such style. I don't mean to brag, but I do clap like all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really a beautiful. Like, it's one of those things that you just think, well. Everyone can do it. This is like this is not this is not hard. And then you realize how um, like the difference between a good clapper and a bad clapper when you see a bad clapper. I have for sure had guests on my own podcast where uh, I'll ask them to do the sync clap. And then there's always a little bit of confusion about like, wait, is it one, two, three or one, two, three, go or do I go after we say go or while we say go? I'm like, I cannot help you. It's yeah, not that's hard. Just a, that's just a disaster. To me, it always feels like uh, like conducting. Mm. Like at first glance, they're not they're not they're not doing anything. Like the, the orchestra knows what they're up to. But then if you see like a conductor that doesn't know what they're doing, it is true. The orchestra has no idea. Oh yeah, they're just they, sitting there with their weird they're, instruments. They're just, they're just sitting there waiting, waiting to be told. I'm sure that's true. There used to be a reality TV show which was teaching celebrities to be conductors. Really? Um, yeah. That sounds I terrible. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. I can't remember what it was called. Sue Perkins was on it. What um, the fuck? Why? Why? I who made that and why? <laughs> I, I maybe maybe I hallucinated this. I'm pre okay, listeners. If any of you remember the name of the reality show <laughs> where people <laughs> learnt to be conductors, then please, please do, please do uh, uh, write in. The uh, writing in ban is temporarily lifted. You can, <laughs> you can, you can write in to, to tell me this information. I'm pretty um, sure you made that up. I think you probably had a real bad fever at some point. Yeah. And just this... dreamed all kinds of little dreams. Yeah, this this tracks. To be honest with you, why would I have inserted Sue Perkins into it? Is the question. Why wouldn't you insert Sue yeah. Perkins? Yeah, that's true. I do. I do like her. I have a I have a lot of time for Sue Perkins. I'm not sure what I'm basing that on, even. So, if anyone has any uh, uh, positive or negative information about Sue Perkins, uh, again, do please <laughs> do do please write in okay hi uh <laughs> i like how you left a little pause like take yeah. take a minute write your letter <laughs> write your letter or do it obviously do it now otherwise you'll forget yeah um yeah welcome welcome to Ten Thousand posts this is the podcast about how everything is posting i'm your host phoebe roy um we have no hussein today because um he is getting sicklier and sicklier and has the flu. So it will just be me piloting this mother. And I am joined by a very, very special guest, a writer, a broadcaster, a lifetime member of the Tarts Summit, Rat King. <laughs> I really thought that instead of broadcaster, you were just going to be like, she's a writer, she's a broad. Like that's broad. something that British people say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's true. I am yeah. abroad. Yeah, fine. How you doing, Rax? 
I'm doing good. I am a little sleepy because, and again, don't mean to brag, but I did stay out until 10 o'clock last night. Oh, what were you doing? Uh, my my podcast uh, co-host, Amber Rollo, and I, and our husbands, we went to Dave & Buster's together and played arcade games and ate some... You know, kind of low tier American classics, which is what they have on their menu. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. That sounds that sounds really good. Yeah, sounds really nice. Oh, lovely. So, do you ha- do you have any do you have any complaints? Not about the evening, just in general. Uh, about the evening, off. you know what? I actually do have a complaint about the okay, evening. Okay, great. <laughs> um, there was an arcade game that you know it was set up for four people, so obviously we tried to play it. And it was broken, and we had already paid to play it by the time we realized it was broken. And so not only did we have to deal with that screaming indignity, we also had to like hear the game yell at us the whole time that we weren't playing it right because the controller like wasn't connecting to the screen. So like every few seconds, it would basically yell at us like, wow, you are so fucking stupid. Why can't you play this game properly? And we're just all like gradually losing our minds because we're trying so hard it was designed to make us crazy i think yeah see i don't i don't i don't care for that i i Mm -mm. you know i i i appreciate that there may well be some point in the future when we have to answer to the machines but i'm not i'm not taking any sass from them in the interim certainly not you're just a machine i made you not me specifically but someone more like me than than like you machine I'm just hang on. I just need to Google hubris. To see <laughs> what it says. No, no, no. That's fine. That doesn't affect us. That doesn't. I think affect it's us. fine. No, we're good. We're good. We're good. So uh, today we are gonna be having a little bit of a chat about author posting, being a writer who is obliged to be online, things which Rex has no doubt some extremely interesting insights on and we're also going to be talking a little bit about um about Susan Meachin who is the romance novelist who faked her own death not only faked her own death faked her own suicide uh and came back to life and this was all um this is all played out in uh in Facebook posts and Facebook statuses which has a kind of pleasingly retro vibe to it mm, yeah and I have been finding this story uh, very, very fascinating. And, um, and I think it brings up a lot of stuff that we, that we talk about and think about on this show. So, you know, like what, like what, like what is a post as soon as you make it? Like, is it a kind of, is it, is it an object which you have to think, think in terms of this is, this is an artificial object and you, and you must take it and you must take it as such, and that includes any of the contents. Um, it, it 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 kind of brings up stuff about you know kind of the author like an author's relationship to their work, and also it's just a it's just it's just a mad story. It's a mad it's a story about crazy mad, story <laughs> about about mad people being mad, and I and that's and that's something which I'm personally very fond of. It's that's I just it feels it feels very very low stakes apart from apart from I guess the people who's money she stole which we will get which we will which we will we will get into um but before we kick off we've got a little little post to talk about it's a historic post hell yeah uh, 
yeah which is the best which is the best kind and it's a um it's a post which uh has made it onto know your meme because it's um it's tur- it's been turned into a into a copy pasta in the in the interim i'm not gonna um i'm not gonna say the username because they're not a public figure they're just a person um if you really have the urge to you will be able to find out the the author the author of this post um but the point is not necessarily to uh to drag them um to drag them personally or to uh, or to kind of make an example of just you know of just of just a person but the text of the post i think is just fantastic in just a number of different ways and particularly when you think about what the context is so so last year uh barbara ehrenreich died and mm. um in 2019 she made a off-color joke about marie kondo the the decluttering lady like it's the joke was not ideal i i i sort of understand what the the point that she was making with it sort of but it was but it but like it was a it was it, it was a racist it was a racist sideswipe and what did she say i forget and it's not on know your meme okay she said she's she deleted it um mm. but she said i'll be convinced that america is not in decline only when our decluttering guru marie kondo learns to speak english it's 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 bad it's not a Ew. good yeah it's <laughs> it it's very much a kind of a oh that's that sounded a lot better in your head i'm sure that sounded really kind of like cool and edgy in your head but actually that's just that's it, it that's just that it's just racist i think um and she cl- and she brushed off the backlash by saying that it was that it was a joke which was a joke which which which, which failed and actually i think that if you make a joke online uh, i think if you make a joke online that is poorly received for what for whatever reason i think it should be enough to say it was a dumb joke i'm sorry i'm sorry it was a dumb joke <laughs> like there we go considering that jokes which have which have like absolutely no harm involved and considering that that uh that that uh, occasions are the most insane responses that you can possibly imagine if you make one online i don't really see what difference it makes if you make a joke online people are going to be insane to you about it so yeah. i think that if you just say you know what it's a dumb joke i take it back whatever i think that i think that should be enough i'm assuming that barbara ehrenreich um was not spending her time like either participating in structural harm against people of color or for that matter like physically attacking them or uh or engaging in any other like structurally shitty behavior i just feel like i feel like if you have the kind of career that barbara ehrenreich had yeah you get a mulligan or two you, i i don't think that you can just say what you like but i also yeah. think that like once you're in your 80s i think that you get a an apology for a racist joke just granted i think that's personally i think that's that should sort of be should sort of be should sort of be the rule she's not like i don't know 
I don't know. She's I th- earned the benefit of the doubt I think to an she, extent. I think- and she also wasn't like inciting violence or anything. She no. just said something like distinctly racist and fucked up, but also something that has no appreciable effect on the world around her, really. Yeah, and also just a little weird. It's a weird thing to say. It's a weird thing. Like the <laughs> the risk to reward calculus was way off in tweeting that remark. But but I mean that's the, but that is the case with tweeting any joke anyone who Mm. has ever made a humorous or light-hearted observation on twitter has discovered that it is a bad bad place to do it and i think part of that is that if you're like if you're if you're if you're a comedian say and you know obviously that's not something that we on this show support like if you want to be a comedian that's like that's fine but don't make me look at your lifestyle don't you know, don't keep it. You just keep it to yourself behind closed doors. If you've got to yeah, make, do your stand up alone in the bathroom like a gentleman. Yeah, if you've got to make your wisecracks and your what's the deal and do you ever notice mm. and so on. You know, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't personally want to see that. Like, what if a child? What if a child saw one of your jokes? That's my. That's what if a child sees prop comedy? That's. I think that's grooming. <laughs> potentially potentially do not sound clip that um (laughs) (laughs) potentially that's what that's what that is but like part of part of humor is being able to read and interact with your audience and knowing when to pull it back knowing when to like push it a bit further and there's just no worse context for that kind of thing than than on like a social media site because Mm. not only is it populated by very very peculiar people uh but it's also it's also everyone assumes the absolute kind of sort of worst intentions of everyone of everyone else it's you've got to assume it's a hostile audience just don't make just don't make jokes on twitter i think that's the i think that's like the general rule um but this is like, like I said, it's not a defense of what um, Barbara had to say for herself, Barbara E. But I just, I just think, it, I just think that the, that the, uh, that the apology, even if it was a fairly limp apology, I think that should have been, that should have been the end of it. But it was not the end of it because a Twitter user uh, said to her, <clears throat> "You did a racism. <laughs> you did an imperialism. You did a nationalism. You did a xenophobia." You did a white fragility. You did a weak apology. You did no growth. This makes it abundantly clear you don't even understand the intersectional nature of the multiplicity of your offences. The multiplicity of your offences to Barbara Ehrenreich. To Barbara <laughs> Ehrenreich. And I don't know, like, I'm not really persuaded by the like by the idea that like people are not allowed to talk back to well-known or otherwise distinguished people. I think that's like that's of bullshit. Course. That's like a bullshit idea. Yeah. But but by the same token, wouldn't you feel a little bit hmm what have I accomplished in my life that permits me to talk to Barbara Ehrenreich in this way? <laughs> right, that's kind of more how I mean it. Like it's not so much that she's should be upheld as some kind of holy figure. Of course, she deserves to be 
you know, spoken back to as as needed. And that's sort of the nature of her kind of public figure. But at the same time, if all you have on Barbara Ehrenreich is that you think you're better at posting than she is, then maybe just move on with your life. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's the crux of it. I think what I'm what I am interested in is the um not so much the uh, not so much the the what the most people's takeaway from this is, which is this is just a really this is a really good example of like the kind of the culmination of sort of Tumblr style scolding of kind of context collapse mm. and like and and it like it like it it, it, it is that for sure. Um like personally, if I could uninvent the term white fragility, I think I probably, oh I think God, I probably yeah. would because it feels for a number of reasons like it has, uh, it has outpaced its utility and is now just used to, for white men to yell at white women on the internet. That to me is what it feels a bit like now. I mean, really, all the buzzwords that appear in that reply, not to say they're completely useless, obviously that's not the case, but like, what does it even mean to say as an individual speaking to another individual that that person did imperialism by making a shitty racist joke? Like that's, I don't think Barbara Ehrenreich <laughs> even had the tools to do imperialism well <laughs> all by herself. How many ships does she have? Well, well why I, I mean i don't really know what she means by imperialism in this sorry what the um what the po what the poster means by imperialism um because because actually even though the joke is a racist joke it is also a joke about the about the uh about the cultural failures of american imperialism like quite quite true. specifically <laughs> and in as many words it's like originally a joke about imperialism and obviously if you are if you are living in the imperial core you can operate as somebody who as somebody who upholds imperialism like and like sure. different people have like different like different capacities for upholding imperialism like if you are like if you are a um if you are like a kind of a, like a like a news journalist who is um who's you know been put in charge of um put in charge of a kind of a consent manufacture project for uh for you know for external regime change then obviously you have more stake in yeah. like enforcing imperialism than i don't know like like you you or i who uh <laughs> yeah. who is a I don't think it's doing it's imperialism to say something nasty and offensive about a person who is Japanese. Like, that's not what it means to do imperialism. And really, none of the words in that reply, except, I guess, racism and xenophobia, are being, being used to mean like, what they actually correctly. mean. It's just, it's just yeah, posting. It's literally, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's just posting. Uh, like, of like, of course, if you'd really wanted to kind of ruin your entire week, um, you could have uh, you could have kind of shot back with a point about Japanese imperialism. Um, I had that thought, and <laughs> then, then I was like, what? I'm not, not even going to say, say that. Not even going to say that. Not my business. Not my business. Um, I think the problem with white fragility is that the idea of it, the concept of it, it makes it sound like it is a kind of, like it is a critical concept and it is critical of the way that white supremacy operates. But actually it's not because as a, because as right. an expression, it has 
it has a brother and that brother is non-white resilience which has been used in a variety of ironically enough imperialist and colonialist ways to rob particularly colonized people of their humanity and of their dignity uh particularly when it comes to transatlantic slavery like the like the kind of the myth of black resilience was was a kind of central organizing principle it's quite it's a weirdly eugenicist thing to say actually considering that you are the person who has taken it upon yourself to scold barbara (laughs) to instruct and scold barbara erin right so even like taking like taking aside the content what I think is so interesting is the manner of expression. And this is where uh, and this is where I'd like to, you know, kind of segue into what it means to be a writer online, which is that the modes of expression of online language are very encapsulating. And so whatever you write that gets posted, it that that catches it in amber, right? Um, that catches it in amber and it crystallizes it and it is expressive of a present moment and anything that is expressive of a present moment is extremely embarrassing to read after that moment has passed and I think this kind of um, yeah you, you, you did an imperialism you you did a racism. Yeah. You did a white supremacy. That's very mid twenty tens language. It isn't really, it? really is. And I kind of feel like if they just gone with you, like you racist old bag, uh, which wouldn't sure. it wouldn't <laughs> have been it wouldn't have been a great response. I'm not saying it would be a great would be a great response, but there's something so specifically text as object about the about yeah. the kind of the mode of expression that she has used um it's not just the buzzwords it's also like those haughty imperious sentence yeah. constructions where it's like you're gonna sit your ass down yeah. and listen like ma'am i am not <laughs> i'm gonna not sit my ass down and listen because you are a stranger <laughs> lecturing me on the internet i'm not getting paid to be here i'm just gonna ignore your yeah. ass so yeah, I just I, I just I think it, I think it's a real I think it's a real all timer actually that post yeah. and uh, so yeah yeah I'm with you uh, I think it really says like talking of being a writer on the internet like I think when you're a writer people feel they have the right to treat anything you say like it's a, a request for writerly engagement like you're you're in the agora <laughs> every time you post. And just random strangers can come like throw tomatoes at you because you're a writer who's a public figure online. And like, that's technically true. I can't stop you from showing up at my little station in the Agora to throw rotten tomatoes (laughs) at me. But I don't have to engage with you either. That's not like that's not the price of admission, like of 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 writing as a job. I don't I don't or certainly I don't think it should be. And like we've got a bit we've got to be very careful here because it is pretty it's been pretty much it's been pretty much proven that there is nothing more distasteful than writers complaining about being writers people really really don't mm. like it and that's you know and honestly like that's that's fair enough like it's quite it's it sure. is a 
precarious and in the main terribly paid job which is a labor issue in and of itself but it's quite a nice job and I think that <laughs> it, there's a lot that's yeah. cushy about it but like as a writer who also works like a restaurant job I gotta say there are a lot of reasons that I would take the restaurant job if it paid me the amount of money that I need to survive, like over mm. being a writer. If I could get away with just doing the restaurant job and just like writing for a tiny little audience when I felt like it, I would do it in a second. And it's largely because I am not saying this as a writerly <laughs> complaint. I'm saying this as a person who does not like being yelled at. Part of the cost of admission of being a writer is that people do think like, well, what do you even have to complain about? I'm going to mm. yell at you some more. And again, you can do that. I can't stop you. I get it. Writers are annoying and we have soft little hands and, you know, pudgy little bodies from writing our stupid emails <laughs> all day. I get that. I hate myself so much more than you ever will. But at the same time, you're fucking annoying. Yeah. No, yeah, I think that, no, I think I think that's right. And I think that I think that part of it is that um is that one of the I think unintended offshoots of uh of an internet which is kind of me which is mediated by uh by plat by platforms in this way is that mm. both everyone is a writer and everyone is a reader like at the same time like people are both yeah. creators and consumers uh mainly for mainly for free um actually there's a i have a little tangent about that i realized i've interrupted myself to go on a tangent um <laughs> something that i was thinking about the other day was that I saw this post um, about how there is nothing more embarrassing than being a good tweeter because it's the only social media platform that you get at, you gain absolutely nothing from being good at. So, like, if you're you know if you're good at in, if you're good at Instagram, you get brand partnerships. Same with TikTok, presumably. Same with YouTube, etc. So it's the it's the only one where all you're doing is um, is destroying your brain and making yourself both unsocialized and unemployable that's like that's literally all you're doing if you are a, if you are a kind of real gold standard tweeter and i was thinking about this and it's like it, like it is true i mean i know that i know that like once upon a time people occasionally got book deals out of their tweets and like occasionally like script deals but that doesn't happen anymore that has not happened for a very very long time and i wonder if part of it is that um is that was is going back to this idea of uh, of a published text as being an as being an object separate from any kind of acknowledgement of personhood of the person who produced it so the reason that you can become like mm. that you can make a job out of being good at instagram is that like in the main your your face is attached to it your face and your body there's a little there, there are pictures of you and the same thing with tiktok like people like people who become well known or become famous on TikTok or who've managed to make a career out of TikTok are all all feature in their own TikToks. It's quite difficult to become like right, to right. like get brand partnerships if you're only making your TikToks based on like recording other things. Um so I'm like so I'm so I'm like wondering if that's sort of like if that's like kind of part of it, like that how like however people talk about the 
robotic future and being sassed by arcade machines and everything being replaced by <laughs> by <laughs> AI and chatbots. And there will be no art because it'll all just be done by AI. I think that it's that people still need to see a little human face attached to it. And as soon as something becomes like a kind of separate text object with no, with no personhood associated with it, people interact with it like it is an object and like it has no connection with the person who wrote it. And I think that's, and I think that's sort of what, um, what the necessity of being a kind of online figure if you're a writer. Like obviously lots of writers are not online at all, but it's, 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 quite, it's quite hard to be that unless you have a significant, uh, significant institutional backing. So again, this is all very sort of once upon a time. And this is a complaint about the publishing industry. So, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for complaining about the, the publishing industry. The publishing industry is lovely. It's lovely. And everyone loves it and it's fine. And there are no problems in it at all. Once upon a time, if you wrote a book that an agent was interested in, you know, interested enough to sign you, um, and an editor read it and thought, yeah, this has, this has potential to be a good book and let's, let's knock this into shape and then we will publish it and hopefully, you know, and hopefully, uh, you will, you will do well, both financially and, and, and critically. That, that does not happen anymore. Uh, the, uh, a book needs to be no, no, basically really. ready to publish before a commissioning editor even having, even having you know, a look at it and, uh, and publishing houses very, very rarely take, um, take punts or risks on unknown quantities, which is why, uh, which is why lots of people need to have a kind of built, like ready built audience to kind of show to the publishing industry. And this is why you get influencer books. Like it's not ideal, uh, in, yeah. in, and they don't sell also. That's important. Like the built-in audience is, it means nothing. And the publishing industry yeah, kind of still doesn't know that. It. They cannot get to grips with the fact that somebody following you for free on a social media platform, which is a very, very low stakes way of engaging with the stuff that you produce, again, for free. And I'm not saying like, oh, tweeters should be paid. That's not what I mean at all. But if you if you follow someone who is funny or insightful on Twitter, you are consuming their you are consuming their labor for free, and the assumption is that that's like a kind of fair exchange because you're because if they follow you back, they're also consuming your labor for free, and the quality of the labor has no real relationship with oh, so the quality of the outcome has no real relationship with the labor put in. I think that's like that's supposed to be like why that's like yeah. supposed to be a kind of chill exchange. Um, and also, again, the assumption is that that writing is just something that anyone who can write can do. It's not like it's not deemed to be a it's not deemed to be a kind of a sort of privileged and ring fenced uh, ring fenced capacity. But I, I don't know what you think about this, but I have found that that has the paradoxical effect, effect of making it even more gatekept to be able to make any kind of living out of because the assumption is that everyone can do it so yeah so what are you bringing to the table so what are you bringing you to the table it, yeah but like functionally yeah that seems to be the unspoken question 
in publishing lately is like, you know, we're we're the big time publishing house and you're just some jerk off with 80,000 Twitter followers mm. like that. And they, yeah. they just like <laughs> dangle the carrot. Right. They're like, oh, you have 80,000 Twitter followers. Well, that's pretty good. What do you bring to the table? And like at one time in life, the answer to that question from an editor was, I bring being a really good writer to the table. Mm. And you could kind of go from there. But now as a writer, you have to bring so much of your own shit to the party. Like the party is not going to be set up for you. You basically have to supply mm. every part of the party experience, the audience, the marketing, the plan for marketing. I don't fucking know how to do that. I'm just a guy. That's supposed to be the publishing house's job. But like they're, they're, every department has been slashed mm. in the past couple decades. And, you know, their marketing department is one guy. And so you just have to do the vast majority of legwork yourself. And I think that even if that doesn't stem from the sort of Twitter experience that you describe of like consuming each other's labor for free and calling that a fair exchange, even if it doesn't stem from that, mm. I think it feeds into that in a way that fills a lot of like writing and media professionals with despair because we have to just be constantly on we, we have to constantly be tweeting bullshit like ever notice when you 69 someone it's such and such happens and if you're not saying shit like that all the time and mm. getting people mad at you, what do you even bring to a publisher? Like, how do you, how can yeah. they be assured that your book's going to sell? Even though that doesn't even mean your book's going to sell. It's, yeah. just, it's so a it's clusterfuck. Not even a case it's such here's a mess. Like, here's 80,000 people who, who like me. This is like, here's 80,000 people who get really angry at me. Just like every day you know what <laughs> they're more likely to buy something that i've written just so that they can get mad at it you should be targeting haters yeah. don't target fans that's <laughs> yeah price every book at five dollars and fill it with stuff that the haters will be mad at that's going to be the new publishing model in about five years look i think the i think the untapped hater audience is something that people should really be thinking about. I think that, I mean, that's got to be part of where, like, the self-publishing world that we see described in this whole Susan Meachin story, like, that self-publishing kind of self-contained world of Facebook groups where mm. people share each other's work and whatnot, they're trying to sidestep that whole dynamic of having to be, like, writer as public figure like you still get some of the benefits of being a public figure you you do still mm. get something of a built-in audience who you know if you're lucky will buy and read your book but you get to sidestep a whole lot of the downsides of engaging with the public you don't have to like be interviewed and say something stupid right because you're writing for people who yeah you think are oh, your no, friends absolutely i think that's i think that is very astute particularly like, particularly since the very specific environment of Twitter uh, has made not, it hasn't just made communication democratized to a certain extent, which is what allegedly the point was supposed to be, but without thinking in without thinking really very seriously about uh, what that means. Uh, yeah. So I think, I think that um, the, I think the wish to, to just detach yourself from all of that. I think it's a very, I think it's a very understandable 
wish. And actually, I was talking to you about this, uh, talking to you about this the other day when I was complaining about uh, complaining about how difficult um, using Substack is, and because <laughs> it is, it's it's oh, so yeah. honestly, and it's it is, so, it is so <laughs> difficult. I have I have scuffed the use of what should just be quite an intuitive blogging platform, um, like three on th- like three separate times just just this week it's very very annoying to use um like if the if the yeah, it's uh, agony yeah if the uh, ux designer of um of substack does listen to this show <laughs> just like what the fuck man like like i'm not psychic i yeah, cannot read why? your mind i cannot guess where you have hidden the very very basic tools for writing and publishing a post on what is a jumped up blogging platform like i i've used other blogging platforms i am not an idiot why can't i use this one yeah right complaint complaint over um but i was thinking i was thinking a little bit last year about how um how it's been a little while since i've um since i've published any short fiction um because this is that's sort of my kind of primary uh, primary work that I've been that I've been doing so I was looking into which uh, literary magazines take open submissions and the best paid I found was a hundred pounds for a story which is which is not very much That's I it? mean it, I, I I suspect that uh fees might be slightly different in the states because that certainly seems to be the case because the the uh, the, the uh, wages here for everything basically are, just, are inoperably low but i thought i can't spend my time writing a story for a hundred quid that's outrageous that's outrageous that's an outrageous sum most of them were between 30 and 50 pounds for for a, a short story which presumably there's not that much editorial intervention on because there's very rarely editorial intervention when it comes to fiction submissions or certainly not which there should be incidentally like that alone is shitty and annoying absolutely there should be there was um i can't remember i can't remember who the rejection letter was to but it was one that was doing the rounds recently which was um a rejection letter to a kind of well-known author um that had been published on one of those kind of letters from the past twitter twitter accounts and the and the rejection took the shape of um this one isn't quite isn't quite working um and it kind of listed the reasons why it wasn't working um please th- please you know be please absolutely understand that uh this in no way prejudices or uh, or negatively affects um my excitement to read what you do in the future which is what a dream collaboration to have with an editor as opposed to just th- three months you hear nothing and then if you right. are lucky you get it nah. yeah like it's it's such a different it's such a different attitude uh to the idea of uh, the idea of authors having um having like a career ahead of them and this is and this is something that came up and off that came up repeatedly uh, just after hillary mantel died last year which was that her publisher uh took uh took a punt on her basically they knew how good she was and she sold in tiny tiny numbers until she had her big seller 
and the publisher right. that had spotted how brilliant she was and kept the faith with her while she was selling in small numbers obviously hugely reaped the benefits from her selling gigantically and winning awards and being adapted and that just does that simply that simply does not happen now uh so but i did some sums and i was and i was like okay so if like one percent of my total listeners across across the two shows that i do um give me a, a few quid a month i will recoup for short fiction writing if i'm selling directly to my audience what i would be paid by a distinguished literary magazine in like a week is how quickly i would make that like make that back and that right. is that's clearly like an outrageous system that it that the only way that you can possibly expect to make any money out of fiction writing and okay you can argue the toss over whether or not it should be a job but it is a job. Oh, of course it should be a job. It is, I, like it is a I job. I am so sick of the Twitter brain <laughs> thing where like, I get it. Writers complaining about our soft hand job is annoying. I understand that. But it's a fucking job. Throughout most of modern history, people have been able to write books and that's it. Like I'm not every single person. And it's always been a matter of some, you know, for lack of a better word, privilege to be able to enter that field in the first place. Yeah. But it has never been as poorly paid and as just miserable of a slog as it is now. And like, it's fucking worth talking about. I'm sorry. It yeah. just is. No, 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 it's no. a labor issue, like you said. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, you know what? Like, it's it's really I think it's really important to uh, to come back to this idea of the of the of the Twitter brain, because. I've been thinking a little bit about this because I've been planning on writing. I've been planning on writing something about what it does to your social capacity to spend a lot of time on, on Twitter. Um, and again, I don't think that if they, if, if they had planned when they were designing Twitter to, uh, to, create a, to create a tool for social division to create like an anti-solidarity and an anti-community and a pro-atomization tool they couldn't have designed something better because it suddenly occurred to me like the thought of thought of talking to people that i know in my in my offline life and everything i say about my life containing as many different caveats that I can think of just to make sure mm. they don't yell at me. Um, I think that's, I think that's instructive that people feel like they have to, like they have to do this. Like, um, like the other day, um, one of my, like one of my friends posted something on like their Twitter circles about um, how great it felt to be um, getting back into exercising again. And then put a little kind of follow up saying, obviously, I know that it's a tremendous privilege to be able to exercise. And I was like, this is just 
on your little green circle for people who right, like... There's like 10 people reading this. For like people who like know and like you and are not reading this, assuming the absolute worst of you. So why do you feel like you... This is what this website has has done to you and this is what and this is what websites have this web this website has also done to writers so not only do mm. writers write with this imagined hostile audience in their heads so right. they have to write all they have to do the kind of the little kind of <laughs> the little, yeah, they're hedging constantly the it's always like some of, people and it often happens and the, uh, the, sometimes i think like it just spit it out the Jesus. little kind of privilege acknowledgement that you yeah, see. it's like a land acknowledgement, like <laughs> yeah. in the middle of an essay. Like it's stuff like that has a purpose in some settings. But if you're just writing like an opinion story that you think pop tarts are good or whatever, you can just say it. You can just spit it out and assume that anyone who gets mad at you is just an unreasonable person looking to be mad. So, I feel like you're saying you hate croissants. <laughs> so. Um, you did, uh, you I did, did a, a xenophobia. No <laughs> you did a no grow. <laughs> you did a xenophobia because you hate croissants and you only like pop tarts. That sounds to me, right? It's like you did an imperialism. It does. Sound- I did imperialism against the good people of France. Yeah. Quite right. It's time for them to have it up and that's my, <laughs> that's my yeah. position. They've Bring- had it too good for too long. <laughs> Bring back imperialism, but only for France. Okay. That's yeah. the- that's the official position of the show. Rax laughed, so she agreed with me. Uh, please mm. forward all complaints about that to Rax. Okay, great. Um, so, yeah, so you can absolutely see why people participate in, um, in self-publishing. Like, functionally, if I write a short story and I stick it on my substack and I, and, and I stick it behind a paywall, I am, I am self-publishing. Like, we can, we, can, we can say, oh, no, 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 I am a participating in uh, the democratization of uh, the new media model. But no, 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 I'm self-publishing. It's what I'm doing. And I'm doing it because I am fucking sick of having to uh, having to submit one story because quite a lot of uh, magazines and journals don't uh, don't take simultaneous submissions as well. So you've got to right. wait for them to deign to get back to you uh to reject you three months later and again it's never like um can you have another pass at this again there's no there's never any assumption of the editorial relationship it's either a yes or it's either a yes or a no in in the main and this is why there's so much focus for particularly younger authors on awards because it's pretty much the only way of getting even like a kind of reasonable amount of money like last um last year i wrote a story for um for an anthology which is um being used to teach um antigone in schools so yeah so i'm one of so not only am i taught in schools now uh i'm poisoning your children's minds um well now this is the second school anthology that i've been publishing actually so that's cool too so take so take that the haters um but yeah i am one of the i am one of those uh one of those like write something inspired by greek mythology i was commissioned to do it and that is fine um it's not the same as like one of those like kind of identical kind of could we maybe have a feminist reimagining a phaedra no 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 it's not that's not the that's that's not the vibe 
Um, so I was commissioned. I was commissioned to do this by a publisher that I've worked with before, and um, and they uh, paid me all right, or rather, they they paid me appropriately to the amount of work it was and how long it and how long it took. And because it was, but because it was the most I'd ever been paid for a piece of fiction. I had an absolute breakdown when I was trying to write it. And I was like, I like, this is too, like, this is too much. It's too much pressure. I can't like, I can't, I can't do it. They're paying me all this money. And, and, and so it's got to be like absolutely perfect. And eventually my, my partner was just like, no, 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 no. They are paying you correctly. And before you've been stiffed, that's, that's how you have to think of it. This, you're being paid correctly according to your skills and experience and they commissioned you right. so of course they're gonna of course they're gonna pay you properly uh i think that's something about self-publishing that you know it's not just that the math works out better based on how much work you put in versus how much money you stand to earn but it's also like it eliminates it eliminates the relationship you had with your very appropriate paycheck for doing a piece of writing like mm. it eliminates that anxiety because it's not that the money is coming from on high from these, you know, curatorial tastemaker types who you assume like really have the right to judge your shit and may even judge it lacking and won't pay you your money. Like it's different. The money comes from a bunch of different people who, because you're self-publishing, you look at them as like essentially on the same level as you. And it feels a little more like an exchange almost. Like that's how it feels for me. Mm writing my newsletter because I do make off my newsletter about as much as I would stand to make from winning a big prize. Like I make that every month mm. and I make it not from one very important judge figure who's like some kind of superstar in the literary community. I make it from a bunch of people who are there because they like my writing, yeah. who like I don't even have to work that whole process of trying to impress them like I can just assume that they're already impressed with me because they've already given me some money mm. and it just strips away that secondary anxiety about like what the fuck are these people paying me for like it's very clear in the patreon patron relationship what someone is paying you for yeah because it's because they like what you do and um and they are tr and they are in a kind of individual way trying to uh trying to correct uh, correct the situation or trying to kind of do some sort of damage limitation over yeah. the fact that over the last I suppose two two three decades people have come to expect to be able to consume culture more or less for free or certainly cl yeah. certainly close to free and there are a lot there are lots and lots and lots of factors that go into um how basically impossible it is to make a living solely out of making art now, uh, which is a really, really bad thing because it crowds out, it crowds out so many visions and perspectives, mm. which would, which would make, which would make culture richer. It's, it's, it's bullshit that you can't, that you can't make art unless you are also, uh, unless you also have like another job or unless more likely unless you have a um wealthy partner or uh or or a wealthy or a wealthy family um i have like four jobs or something just so that i can yeah. occasionally find some time to write 
And two of those jobs are predicated on people liking what I produce enough (laughs) to give me a small amount of money which hopefully like kind of adds up to a to a decent income which I know that I'm extremely fortunate to have and I'm very very grateful that I'm very very grateful to everybody who makes it who makes it possible for for me to do that and I think the thing that prevents people from just going down the the selling directly I mean people like to say like oh well it's because actually I just really disapprove of neoliberal free market economics and suck uh, my dick oh my uh, god that's kind of what that is and it's like yeah but also why don't you fucking die what the fuck shut up why don't you just never speak again shut up shut up forever that's so fucking stupid i can't stand it nobody who doesn't have a well-paid office job has ever said anything like that to me i'm just i'm just saying i am just saying they're the only people who've ever said anything like that um about about how this about how this stuff works but I suppose part of it, and particularly with fiction writing, uh, and I'm I'm interested in I'm interested in your experiences as as primarily a nonfiction writer, whether it's kind of the same thing, is that people are people are worried about the sniffiness of the existing gatekept institutions, and they're worried about never being able to make the leap to uh to the kind of the veneer of respectability that there'll always be a kind of a whiff of self-publication kind of hanging over them i mean like it in regards to that i write a lot of uh first person personal writing i'm not even gonna say personal essays because you say something like that everyone who thinks they know better than you just immediately loses their minds at the same time people and especially those like highfalutin tastemaker types that mm. you just described hate personal essays. Magazines like The Drift and uh, and Gawker, they won't even take them. They say in their pitch guidelines, like, do not send us personal essays ever. And they're, they're not the only ones. Like a lot of those uh, those publications that pay especially well, where... If you publish with them, you can be reasonably assured of making a certain kind of name for yourself. Like the type of writing that I do, they don't want. Mm. And I would love for that not to matter. But also the fact of the matter is like some of those prestige publications do pay well. And, you know, the the way that I sidestep that uh, that seeming snootiness about the kind of work that I do is to do it anyway on my little Patreon newsletter and to just say, fuck it. Like, it's not just a matter of I stand to make more money doing things the way I do them than through these gatekeeper types. It's not even just that. It's that the gatekeeper types have decided that the kind of work I do best has no value. And I think that, like, you can say until you're blue in the face that, you know, they, they don't mean every single piece of personal writing and people just got sick of the exo Jane. It happened to me something fucking terrible style of personal essay. And I get it. But like something that's always struck me as a little sinister about that is that personal writing has one of the lowest barriers to entry of all 
the mm. types of like publishable writing that there are. Like a lot of outlets do want personal essays and you don't have to learn like how to do in-depth reporting, how to do in-depth research in order to write that way. Really, you just have to learn how to write mm. well. That's the first and foremost thing you have to learn to make a good personal essay. But like at the end of the day, if you want to publish them in magazines, you're going to be getting paid like $150, $200 while the people doing the big splashy features are going to, you know, add a zero to the end of that number. They will get so exponentially much more than you. And so the result is a lot of people like me do go into essentially self-publishing because otherwise, like the numbers don't work. The tastemakers want nothing to do with us. Like, okay, fuck it. I'll go do my own thing on my own. And I think that there's something similar going on in the type of like romance writing, for example, mm -hmm. that this Susan Meachin person does. It's not a type of writing that has opportunities for prestige. Like, it's very unlikely that if you submit a romance manuscript, you're going to win a prize. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You find your people and you write with them yeah. and you make them into a community for yourself. Yeah, ab like absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think we're going to go on to like really, like really like digging into the, into the, into the Ms. Meachin story. But I do think it's interesting. Like I understand, I understand the point that people are making about um, kind of Exo Jane in the early days of Jezebel. But I do think it's I do think it's interesting that whenever people criticize uh, criticize the kind of the trauma industrial complex around like around those kinds of essay writing, it's always the authors who bear the brunt of the criticism, and always not, and the authors are mainly women, mainly young women as well, who have been given their first their first kind of writing break their first uh you know their first their first piece of their their first published piece etc um and so little of the opprobrium is directed at the um at the editors and the uh media organizations that uh that encourage young women to spill their guts out to write down the worst thing that's ever happened to them and the problem is is that there will always be someone who has had something even worse so if if you tie your not just like your your wages but also your um but also your self-image as an author to your capacity to your capacity for serving up your trauma to people who don't care about you who will serve you up to hostile audiences with basically no editorial support and no editorial intervention and then they have the fucking nerve to give these women a lot of shit for being unable to keep their mouths shut and for oversharing right. and feels a bit fucked to me diagnosis fucked <laughs> yeah i think that like if you read a piece of deeply personal writing and your first instinct is to get on Twitter or worse, submit a think piece to another outlet about how personally embarrassed you are, that this is something that women are doing, you need to get your head 
all the way outside of your own asshole because that's where it's been for about 10 years. That's the only explanation I can think of for why you would think that's an appropriate thing to do, mm. unnamed bunch of writers I hate. No, I mean, I'm talking about a lot of people. Like, I'm not talking about one person. It's been like this, like... Yeah. You know, Gia Tolentino had that thing about how the personal essay boom is over. And, you know, she writes about how she got her start writing personal essays. But now that she has a cushy New Yorker job where she doesn't, quote unquote, have to do that anymore. You know, that's the moment when writers always take stock of what's wrong with writing personal essays. It's when they think they don't have to do it anymore. There's no respect for the idea that a writer might want to write about themselves, that it might not be the most traumatic thing a writer can imagine to write about something interesting that happened to them. Mm. Like, oh, yeah, sure. not everyone is embarrassed to talk about the bad things that have happened in their lives. I'm, I've never been embarrassed by that. Mm. Or even the good things that have happened in their lives. Right. That, that, because the, the, assum the assumption is, and this is because, again, because of the unbelievable irresponsibility of these of these media organizations and of a kind of uh click and and rage share rage read model of of personal essay writing uh, the like the assumption is is that the only thing that you can possibly write about is your um is the worst things that have happened that have happened right. to you, Partic like particularly as a woman, and any attempt to write about uh, your personal joy or your personal triumphs is treated ex with extreme hostility, even more hostility than than the kind of than the the assumed fragile pose, which right. lots of lots of particularly again in the in the past, this is not something that this is not something that's kind of taken sort of taken place quite so quite so much. But if you try to stand up out of the fragile pose, then then that's even then that's even worse in terms of how right. in terms of how it gets received. And this is something that uh, which is which is something which is definitely a real issue uh, in uh, the basically uninterrogated um, diversity industry in. In publishing because it basically it basically indicates that people who are of a marginalized identity are really not permitted to write anything other than right. the pain that comes alongside with being with being of a marginalized identity and this is why any kind of book which is um which is by or about somebody who is not white whose life is quite nice and fine yeah. <laughs> it always sells in like just gigantic gigantic numbers because people are so delighted not to have to read something which is about racism not to have to read something which is about marginalization not to have re to read something which is about which is about which is about suffering and and until people uh, people of color are not told by publishing industry people um could you maybe write about your family? Could you maybe put in like a bit of a racism right. angle? Could you maybe make this about slavery? Could you make this about genocide? Could you, could you, could you, could you? Like, just let people, if you think they are any good at writing, just let them what they read, 
write what they want to write. It's this obsession. And this is, and I think that social media has a real part to play in this as well. It's this obsession with insisting that there is the, the possibility to categorize everything. Everything must be categorized, labeled, and rigid. So there, are, so, there are, so there must be rules about everything. So there are rules about what you can write. There are rules about what you can't write. When actually, I think that really, honestly, the only rule is whether or not you're any good. Yeah. Or whether you can be made good or whether if you like, can an be... editor takes you yeah, under their wing, exactly. which they prefer not to do because they're just as overworked as the rest of us. Yeah. They don't have the time either. Or whether you have the, whether you have the, the, the possibility of being good. And I don't, I'm not saying like everyone should just be able to write whatever they like, you know, and without any thought of uh, like its potential for causing, causing, causing harm. Um, I think that causing offences not necessarily the same thing as causing a material harm. I think the two things have been somewhat conflated together and I think an awful lot depends on uh, on the nature of the offence and the nature of the harms. But I think that this slightly strange insistence that people can only write something if it is and this is particularly directed at women, if it is basically something which is from their own journal. So the only experience which they are allowed to access is their own experience. But then when women do that, then that's not okay either because that's self-absorbed and that's, um, and that's being overly fragile and that's uh, selling your and that's selling your life story and that's selling your trauma and that's and that and that so that's not okay either and i think that what quite a lot of people have managed to do is dress up in progressive clothing the underlying principle that basically just nobody should be writing anything and particularly women should not be writing anything right. ideally women would not be writing anything right because there's always some bullshit around it it's either like a woman is writing about herself that's no good a woman is writing what people are going to think is a thinly veiled account of her own life even worse basically women just shut the fuck up yeah that's i think that's i think that's what people are saying and so that is so that is how we swing the car back round to talking about self-publication and how it and how it it, it is a it is a route for um for people to find their own find their own audience um i think that uh it's strange when you meet people who uh who don't work in artistic industries which is most people it's the vast majority of people and whenever self-publishing comes up they always say stuff like oh but that's great right it means you don't have to like mess around with editors and i'm always just like I like messing around with editors. It makes my, I know <laughs> it makes my work better. I don't like. I don't think that the lack of an editor is a positive of self-publishing. In fact, I think it's an active negative of of self-publishing. But I know a lot of people don't feel like that. Um, and what I found so arresting about the about the Susan Meachin story, I'm actually you know what I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Is it Meachin or is it Meekin? I don't know either. I haven't heard it. No, me said neither. Out loud. Michonne. I think, I think Meechin, because there's 
I've heard like Meacham with an M at the end as yeah. a name. Okay, so we'll we'll say Meachin, but just put a put a a potential pin in that for if it turns out that it is pronounced differently. And uh, you know, back, I backdate my apologies for that. Um, I'm just I'm just <laughs> gonna say Meachin, or oh, maybe I'll just say it differently every time. Who knows? I think one of the things that I found so arresting about it is I love finding out about online communities about which I knew nothing. That, Me too. It's, it's so great. It's like it's like lifting up a rock in the garden and looking at the fun different bugs, um, which are just so different from the bugs that you are used to. They're different from the bugs over there. They're different from the bugs under that rock. And that, I think, has really, really happened with... Uh, this particular romance, uh, sort of romance novel writing community. And just a kind of brief, brief synopsis of what happened. Uh, this woman, Susan Meachin, who was a sort of, she was a kind of mid-level uh, self-published romance writer, uh, announced, or rather announced through her daughter a couple of years ago that after... Um, after being bullied and hounded by other people in the romance writing community that she had that she had taken her own life and this caused ripples and shockwaves among the community um and then two years later she did like a kind of ta-da see she pulled a jesus she did she did and and like two years as well like that's that's a pretty impressive amount of time for nobody in this community to have hurt to have heard anything anything from you and i think it i think that's quite instructive about the nature of online communities because you, you really kind of yeah. go like going back to like what our parents used to tell us which was like you don't know who any of these people are these are not like right. these may seem like real connections but this could be anyone anyone could be lying all the time and like i don't necessarily think that this kind of paranoia has been very good for people particularly for women because i think it's expressed itself and resolved itself in true crime brain poisoning in a lot yeah, sure. in like a lot of women like the assumption that like there's always this kind of someone who's like trying to get you um but i think that just because something feels like a kind of hack cliche about people are not who they say they are online and people lie online it doesn't mean that it's not that it's not true and it's i think very very strange that in that two year period she was so only known online to these people that she didn't get caught you know she was only known on facebook (laughs) yeah i mean she had a tiktok account right she like posted a couple videos with her face in them like what after i think the uh the quote-unquote suicide they they not only only knew her online they only knew her through that facebook group they were all in yeah yeah, and so then she does this. Yeah, so she um what seems to have happened is that the is that she is that she started posting under a different name, which again feels to me like something that your seasoned forum person would have clocked fairly right. quickly because I don't think that people realize 
just how distinctive their posting voices are right actually like i th- and i was just tying it back to the barbara Ehrenreich post at the start it's so specific if you saw somebody with a different username expressing themselves in that kind of linguistic shape as long as you were sure that they weren't just using a copy fast or just using kind of meme speak you would absolutely recognize where it where it came from and i i think i would recognize the posting styles of quite a lot of people if you like anonymize them so i think actually i think that would be quite an interesting exercise um so elon i know you're listening um i know you're a fan (laughs) um i love you thank you for the check your rockets are so cool um i think a really interesting exercise would be to anonymize all accounts on twitter just for like a day and then see what effect that has on the kinds of responses that posts get hmm um, I like it. I think that w- I think that would be very. I think that would be very fun, like a kind of like a purge, but just on Twitter. Okay, so again, like if anyone's making notes of uh, my ideas, um, that's that's something which I have copyrighted. So if I see it out in the wild, I will be suing you. So, uh, nobody clocked that she was then posting under a real name. And then when she reemerged, saying, uh, saying so, so, something along the lines of, "Turns out I was fine." Um, <laughs> uh, Reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> yeah, told you you'd all be sorry when I was dead. Uh, well, guess what, bitches? I'm not dead. Um, and a lot of people were not very happy about this for obvious reasons. Uh, particularly the person who had been. Um, who had been not named, I don't think, but had uh, the rest of this community, true crime brain poisoning, had decided that this was the person who had bullied and hounded Susan Meachin until she until she took her own life. Uh, and so it was just decided that it was just this, just some other person also in this romance novelist online community who then they got, just like, like found one. Uh, yeah, and then they just started like, harassing them and made their life very very difficult and so far as i know they have not received any kind of restitution or public apology and i kind of feel bad for them more than i feel bad for the people who say but we we contributed to your funeral expenses um now the problem with the old funeral expenses crowdfunder with the the whole business around the, the crowdfunder which is which seems to be slightly disputed as to kind of what the exact nature of the crowdfunder was how much money it took in so on and so forth because obviously it's a very bad thing that the social safety net has been hollowed out uh this is definitely the case in the States and like I find medical crowdfunders just quite the most upsetting thing that I can imagine. It's just it it just it sucks 
so bad. We're number one. <laughs> We're number one. We have more medical crowdfunding attempts than any other country in the world, baby. There you go. Still number one. Um, I did an imperialism imperialism. (laughs) over all the countries with socialized health care. I'm sorry to anyone who has socialized health care who was hurt by my saying that we have more medical crowdfunders than anywhere else in the world. I didn't mean it. And I am going to do growth. Okay. well, that's 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 as that's very much appreciated as some as somebody who uh, lives in a country where we have socialized health care, but it is uh, being deliberately driven into the ground so it can be replaced by a really fun by a really fun new system um i don't know if you're familiar with it it's called kickstarter that's what they're thinking Mm. about um putting in place um so not only do you have to uh, raise the money for your uh, for your life-saving treatment or medicine or 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 what have you you also have to uh, produce some uh, tote bags and send them to the people who who gave you money that's also something that you have to Phoebe do Phoebe Roy survived whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> bitches um yeah. yeah so uh so that's something something to look out for like obviously it is it's a very bad thing that um people have to rely on functionally the charity of strangers that is a bad thing uh i know that there's an idea that it's like oh why it's mutual aid but mutual aid can't be the replacement for um for state support and state care i mean i i have my i have my criticisms of states and the way they function but you can't just say, well, we're just not doing any of that and it's all mutual aid. Right. That, you and your five <laughs> friends who all have a DSA caucus together cannot <laughs> yeah, just pop- have the reach of the entire state <laughs> apparatus. Yeah, exactly. Like you and five other guys can't do all that just much. Like I'm sorry. Passing the same like ten pounds back and forth right. amongst twenty people that you know forever. Uh, yeah, like you and your friends that you know personally where none of you have quite enough money cannot effectively replace the state apparatus. I am sorry to you and your friends. You just can't do it. There is no other way. <laughs> oh, so uh, Rack's coming out as an anarchist here. I'm anti-friend <laughs> is what I am. What's what's that tendency called? I hate friendship and all of its all of its attributes. Pro-state anti-friend. That's right. <laughs> I'm sure that's a ten. I'm sure that's a tendency. That sounds like Tito to me. That sounds like a Tito, like a, <laughs> like, a like a Titoist vibe. Um, no offense to any Titoists. I know that that's that's something that exists. There are Titoist Titoist tankies, which you know, fair play. And good luck to them. You know what? Fair play. I respect you for um for for doing something a bit novel. Yes, yeah, so people said, "Well, are you going to give back the money that we donated to funeral expenses?" Uh, so it's quite, it's quite tempting to say, "Well, what kind of dickhead are you contributing to a stranger's funeral expenses?" Because obviously, the people involved did feel some kinship, whether or not that was kinship that was based on anything material. They clearly felt an affection for this person. Um, maybe considering the circumstance the claimed circumstances of what had happened maybe people felt guilty for not checking in on her and sort of felt well like this is like the least like the least you can do and 
like honestly like i don't know what the i don't know what the what the answer is because i don't think that you can just take the line that you just assume everyone is lying and everyone is grifting all the time because like i said if they had tried to uh produce a like a a more anti-community an anti-solidarity tool they couldn't have done they couldn't have done better than if they just sat down and designed twitter that's like it's like it's perfect like we don't even need cointelpro we have twitter like that's like you know what actually we have just in like 15 years of twitter um do you know how many cia cointelpro operatives we have put out of a job and that is a labor yeah. issue and that is a labor issue because you can Barrett, that's so true <laughs> we have we have all done a no growth we have all done a no growth we've all done a no growth we're part of this part of the cia degrowthers um <laughs> honestly i think it'd be quite funny to respond you did a no growth to one of those extremely stupid and uncomprehending pieces that have been going around about degrowth which is just very much like whenever i've read one i'm just like do you not understand it or are you just pretending not to understand it? I'm not sure which is worse. Great question. Maybe one for the... Oh, I don't read those. One for the floor. I, I don't do that. <laughs> you know what? That's actually, that's really sensible. And that, that my friend, is self-care. I do self-care by do not self -care by reading, reading about degrowth ever. <laughs> this is the thing. Like, I, don't, I never read anything. Like, I, re I, I read my friend's substacks and patrons that's what i that's what i read now that's to me that is mutual aid just well so you're basically one of these people in the facebook group then functionally yes but with yeah. the kind of but with the veneer of institutional respectability so um yeah so stick so stick that in your in your pipe um from a phenomenology point of view yes yeah, so i don't think the solution is well just don't donate to things because i think it is a good thing to in, to yeah. encourage people to see themselves as part of communities as and when as and when they arise but i i mean i understand feeling like hurt you know i understand feeling hurt if you for example donate a bunch of money to the funeral expenses of like an acquaintance that you have online only to find out that like the whole thing was a big sham. I think it's totally respectable to step up and say, hey, this whole situation has really hurt my feelings and I wish it hadn't gone down this way. But I also think that like a big part of doing, you know, the whole donating charity GoFundMe thing in the right spirit is just assuming that that money is gone as soon as you yeah. have donated it go ahead and assume everyone with a GoFundMe is a scammer. I think that's very obviously not the case. And the vast majority of GoFundMes are for people who like really need them. And just, it's just going to be easier on your spirit. If you assume that every GoFundMe you donate to your money is gone and you will never again have a say in what happens to that $50 or whatever. Yeah. You're, it's gone. Yeah. That you're not going to be you're like, whatever you donate to, you're not going to kind of receive a marketing plan in response. Right. In response. Uh, it's either some person having like the worst situation of their life, just under a huge amount of pressure to get money together quickly, or it's a scammer and they were never going to tell you what they were going to do with mm. the money. Either way, your money is gone and you should still be, 
loose with it. Yeah, I think. I, no, I, th- I think that's true. I mean, I think that if you are somebody who sets up a who sets up a fake GoFundMe and uh and plays on um and plays on people's natural community minded and uh you know sort of humanity minded instincts uh and you're and you are running a scam i think i think there's going to be some serious conversations about the final destination of your soul that's i don't i think it's i think it's really fucked and i find it very difficult to access uh access the mindset for example um for example there was a um a really awful case of this a little while ago in the uk um there was um a terrible stampede at an asake show and um lots of people got serious like got seriously injured and one young woman later died in later died in hospital um and uh it was used as an excuse by the media to push some extremely unpleasant anti-black narratives it does not seem to be the case that it's that um that it was the fault of of the attendees to the concert it, it seems it seems to be the case that it's the fault of the promoters um and immediately crowdfunders for this young woman's family started cropping up and eventually one of her family members had to like make a twitter to say if you see someone like someone shaking the begging bowl um it's nothing to do with any of us they've just seen this tragic event and they're trying to get some money out of it right that i think is really very evil and very 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 bad indeed i think it's yeah. <laughs> like it like I- and i think that the solution to like the solution to the problem of a handful of evil people doing something hateful in the wake of a tragedy or whatever the response to that situation is not to you know surveil every single person who needs help to yeah. the fullest extent of your powers to determine that they really do need it yeah. it's like not on us as a society to to be on our toes all the time for shit like that. Like, I think if you have the money to spare, you should spare it whenever you can and just, like, understand that if you accidentally give some evil jerk-off $10 or whatever, that person will have to fend for themselves down the line. Like, that's an evil person, and you don't have to worry about that. No, exactly. Leave that, like, you know, leave that up, leave that up to God. God will, God will deal with that. Yeah. Hopefully um I, like, i'm not too clear on this i think god deals with it in a kind of like they just have a caseload and then just yeah then just goes that's kind of a social worker just, like, figure. just, like, go, just like goes through it yeah exactly yeah exactly that's that that sounds right uh yeah i think that the problem uh, part of the problem is is that um deep deep distrust um in other people has been mm. inculcated by um by like a kind of number of factors and like i said i definitely think that um particularly for particularly for women the 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 true crime stuff has been really really um really significant in terms of in in terms of the the kind of the fear and disgust and um 
and natural distrust of other of other people and of the community and um and 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 things of that nature and also i think that people are so used to their only function as political actors and civic actors as well is being consumers so the only way that you can like the only way that you can uh engender any kind of uh political uh political value in the culture that you consume is by thinking of yourself as thinking of yourself as a as, as a consumer and this is why some right. and this is why something like um the very kind of like empty and kind of vacuous uh politics of uh of of representation in media uh takes such purchase because um you feel like you're getting more bang for your buck if thing if people in books and tv shows and movies uh this horrible phrase look like you if they look right. like you then you are getting more value of your out of your out of your consumer power and people and as and like as a result because you can only operate as you can't operate as a revolutionary subject in the in the imperial core that's basically impossible you can't you you more or less apart from the odd bit of cash that you can chuck at a fucking hate my landlord one second is that your doorbell yeah isn't that the worst thing you ever heard in your life you know i'm not answering him yeah fuck him fuck him uh oh my god i'm gonna kill myself one second go ahead yes oh did someone else let you in thanks so much um sorry yeah no 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 it's fine i was just trying to remember where 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 i'd go up to uh oh yeah so so not so not only uh are people only able to think of themselves in terms of their in terms of their sort of value as consumers that any kind of any kind of participation in sort of collective so uh, sort of collective social care is all just through mutual aid now pretty much i mean you know there there are some still some kind of remnants of of sort of state and institutional but it's been gutted uh, right. it's certainly been gutted in this country and i'm you know and it basically never existed in in yeah. in, in we the had States. like a good 20 years maybe and then and then no more okay yeah well you know 20 years that's more than some countries get you're doing an imperialism yeah and i'm not gonna <laughs> do growth <laughs> i'm not gonna do growth i'm absolutely not gonna do growth. so so not so not so not only that but it it's it's engendered a kind of tendency to want to see outcome for your consumption. You want to be able to know, you want to know that you're getting the most bang for your buck. And that means that you sort of want to control where it's, where it's going. It's like, it's like if you're, and you see, and you see this a lot when people are sort of talking about like how they decide which homeless person they're going to give money to and they don't give money to somebody who looks like they might have a drug problem or an alcohol problem they don't and which is well not it's it's monstrous to be honest with you but it's also but it's also that it has produced this tendency where people are have to connect the act of giving with a value for money with a value for money Mm. outcome and 
really it should just be about the giving you see the yeah. crowdfunder um you give to it if you find out that the crowdfunder is a scam absolutely fair enough to be like what the fuck i donated to that yeah but i think yeah i think you're right once you've donated yeah. i think you just have to assume that the money's gone and i and obviously i feel bad for the people personally affected of course it, it's quite funny though I think that there's this thing. situation of like, okay, she clearly did not kill herself. She took advantage in some sense of y'all's, like, of, of her role in y'all's community and maybe did this stunt as a way to sell more books. There was some shady shit with a crowdfund. Like, I get it. I would be livid. But I also think that if a person fakes their own suicide and comes back two years in to give it the old like JK, I'm still alive. I fooled you. Like that person is unwell in a way where mm. maybe they, they did need some form of help and like, yeah, fair play to say it's fucked up that you took my money and you know, that money was for a specific purpose that clearly was not met. Like, it's totally understandable to be angry about that. But I think you should also look at this woman who did take advantage of you with as much compassion as you can muster, because that is not somebody who's in a good place. People don't yeah. fake their own suicide when things are going well. No, that's not like, that's not like a kind, that's not someone who's, whose life is uh, replete with, joy and peace i don't i don't think like no no one's like okay so this weekend i'm gonna spend some time with my family and spend some time with my friends and maybe i'll maybe i'll go see an exhibition maybe i'll go for a walk in the air oh wait no 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 no! i gotta fake my suicide to my yeah. weird facebook group of of a uh, self-published romance novelists um right. yeah i think i think that's I think that's really that's really the really the crux of it. I think that I think that the online mode of communicating and community forming uh relies on an awful lot of pompous self-posturing, uh, self self-important attitudes of goodness according to a kind of set of bullet pointed rules about what constitutes a good person and totally. very very little compassion in any material way and i think also uh not sure how exactly i want to frame this but i think i've been a member of some of those like small kind of self-publishing oriented groups before like one way or another I end up uh, in the inner sanctum, so to speak. And I have found, like, maybe it's due to how small most of those groups are. Like, the one Susan Meacham was in had something like 600 people. That's, like, really small. And so it's like the situation of, of chickens in too tight of a space together. Like, mm. with that few people to bounce off of each other you just peck each other to death. Like often there's mm. so much petty 
bitchy infighting in those groups. And so I think it's probably fair to say, like, hmm. I mean, fuck it. She found a way out. Yeah. She came <laughs> she, right back, though. She so fucked she, it up. She, 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 did, she did come right back. But that, but I suppose that I suppose part of it is that is that once once you're really a poster, it's very very difficult to really be anything else. You know, my dad used to tell me. My dad was a public defender, and throughout my childhood, he was like defending you know murderers and and whatnot. And he used to tell me like, you can commit a crime and probably never ever get caught unless you tell one person, the vast majority of my clients ended up behind bars because they committed, not because they committed a crime, but because they got on the phone and like bragged about it to a friend. I'm like six mm. years old. I'm like, never call friend <laughs> after crime. But like, it's the same situation, right? Like she committed the crime. She was halfway to her getaway, you know, island with her loot. And then she got on the phone and told someone she fucking came back. She if she was an indigent criminal, she mm. would be behind bars right now. But she's just some lady writing romance novels. So probably nothing's going to happen. Absolutely. And you know what? I actually feel like we could discuss this for many, many hours. But I am very aware that I'm sort of taking up your time here. So I think we should probably I think we should probably leave it there. But honestly I'm quite keen to do a to do a part two on this on on yeah. this one. On this particular on this particular one. Um but before I let you go, where can the listeners find you? Where can they where can they do mutual do a mutual aid and <laughs> uh and pay you for your extremely excellent writing? Uh yes, you can mutually aid me by uh subscribing to my Patreon, patreon.com slash dead. Uh, the suggested monthly subscription amount is $8 a month, but you can enter anything starting at $1. I truly do not care. Give me as little money as you want. Uh, you can also subscribe to my podcast, Low Culture Boil, and that also has a Patreon, patreon.com slash lowcultureboil. Phoebe has been a guest a number of times mm -hmm. and surely will again. Mm -hmm. So you can come listen to the three of us talk about British trash. Yeah. Which is not something that you listen to every week on Ten K, obviously. Uh, it's a <laughs> different different category of interests. Uh, this this show is is supported by Patreon. So if you would like to mutually aid the show in uh, in staying ad free and staying editorial independent, you can. Um, that's Patreon.com. Stroke 10K Post Podcast. If you would like to mutually aid me. <gasps> If you don't already, you can subscribe to my Substack, which is phoeberoy.substack.com, which uh, is called "From the Twisted Mind of Phoebe." It's a joke that I allow to uh, that I allow to turn into <laughs> something which you can find if you <laughs> which you can find if you Google me. I've just uh, I've just published a little essay, little little mini essay. If you would like to. Uh, like to read that that's up there now um this show is produced by devon you can follow them at devon underscore on earth you can also listen to their podcast kill james bond um you know the rest of you know the rest of my plugs um listen to my seinfeld podcast it's masters of our domain rax has been on it 
um, many times. And again, we'll be on it in the future because this is how the podcasting ecosystem works. We're all friends and we just go on each other's shows and that's mutual aid, baby. But until next week, um, we will uh, we will we will see you very soon. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.